0: Psalm 138, the Psalm of David. I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. Dear brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, this psalm has three clearly marked stanzas. In the first three verses, David speaks in the first person, I will praise you with my whole heart. In the second stanza, verses 4 to 6, he speaks in the third person, All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord. And in the last stanza, verses 7 and 8, he speaks again in the first person, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. The question is, of course, what is it that unites these stanzas together? And one of the things that's very obvious on the surface is, that this is a psalm of praise. David praises the Lord in verses 1 to 3. The kings of the earth praise the Lord in verses 4 to 6. And David praises the Lord again in the third stanza. But I think there's more that unites these uh, verses as well. And I think that we find that in the fact that the kings of the earth in stanza 2 are responding to the praise of David in stanza one. And what we have here in the psalm is David talking about the fact that in the future, his word will have an effect on the kings of the earth that will bring them to join him and the people of God in the praise of the Lord. And so what we have here really at the heart of this psalm is the idea that David is confessing and giving thanks to the name of the Lord before kings. That's what we want to take for our theme. Confessing the Lord's name before kings. And then in stanza 1, we see that David praising the Lord's word. In verse 2, stanza 2, we see the kings of the earth praising the Lord for his word. And in stanza 3, we see David giving some details about how it is that this praise has come about in his life, and why it is particularly that he uh, wants to give thanks to the Lord. What we want to do in in the first stanza is take a look at especially three things. In the first place, we want to look at that word gods in in verse 1. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. There are actually four different opinions about this in the commentaries. First of all, there are those commentaries that say, this is just the name of God, Elohim in the Hebrew, and what David is saying is, before God, I will sing praises to you. That seems quite awkward to me, and I do not think that is the correct interpretation. There are also those who say, that this word gods here refers to the idols of the nations, and that David, though he knows that those idols of the nations do not exist and have no life, is nevertheless saying, even if they did exist, I would still sing the praises of God before them. I would not be ashamed defiantly to lift up my voice in the praise of God. John Calvin, on the other hand, says this word God is... Used a Gods is used as it is apparently in Psalm eight, when the Psalmist says, "You have made him a little lower than the angels." That's the word Elohim in the Hebrew. You have made him a little lower than God." Or you have made him, as Hebrews 2 says, "a little lower than the angel. But what I prefer here in this context is to take that word "Gods" in the other sense in which it's sometimes used in the Old Testament, as referring to human rulers. Before those to whom God has given authority, those to whom uh, God has uh, whom God has made His representatives to men on earth, you have that kind of use of that term "Gods" in a number of places in the old testament one of them is psalm 82 i have said god says to the rulers of the earth you are gods and all of you are children of the most high and that's what i i how i like to take it here before the gods that is before those whom god has appointed to rule among men i will sing praises to you david is saying i will sing these praises of God, even in those circumstances where I might be moved by fear to keep my voice silent. And then that, you see, relates to the second stanza when he says, all the kings of the earth shall praise you, Lord. And we'll examine that more closely when we get that far. So that's the first thing, the interpretation of the word "Gods." I might be wrong about that interpretation, but That's the way I think it works best in the context of the psalm. The second thing that we want to look at is the words that David uses for his praise here in these verses, especially verses 1 and 2. In the first line we have, I will praise you with my whole heart. That is not the Hebrew word halal, as we have, for example, in hallelujah, praise the Lord. It's a different word than halal. It's the word that in at other times is translated as give thanks. And it's a word whose basic idea, according to the theological word book of the Old Testament, is to confess. Not to confess sin, particularly, but to confess the name of the Lord. The idea of giving thanks is certainly prominent in the word, but it also carries this connotation of giving thanks. I will thank you, but I will thank you publicly. I will thank you by confessing your name. That's the idea here. I will give thanks to you with all my heart. And I will do that by confessing your name publicly and before the gods. So that's the first word. The second word he uses is sing praises, and we don't need to say much about that word. We can just simply note that it is a musical term, and David is talking, therefore, not just about uh, normal speech as he uh, comes before the gods here, but he's talking about actually singing and confessing and giving thanks to the Lord in the presence of these kings of the earth, these gods. And the third word that he uses is, I will worship toward your holy temple. That word worship is much broader than the other two words. It embraces those two words. That worship includes the giving of thanks, it includes the singing of praises, but it includes all those acts of worship which David performed in the house of God. It includes, for example, his prayers. It includes his offering of sacrifices. It includes his uh, listening to the word of God as spoken and receiving the signs of that word of God in the ceremonies of the law. All of this is included in that idea of worship. And the fundamental notion of that word worship, of course, is to humble oneself, to bow before the Lord. It is to acknowledge the greatness of this God, and one's own insignificance in his presence. I will bow down toward your holy temple. And then we have again in the next line the word praise or give thanks. So those are the words that David uses to describe his activity of praise in the presence of God. The third thing that we want to notice here is the reasons David gives for giving thanks. And there are four of those reasons in the last part of verse 2 and in verse 3. The first of those reasons is your loving kindness and your truth. We've seen how those two words are associated with God's covenant, with his promises to his people. And God shows his loving kindness when he Speaks his promise and when he fulfills his promise to his people and he shows his truth and his faithfulness to them in keeping those promises in spite of their sins. David praises God and gives thanks to him for his loving kindness and his faithfulness. But the second reason is very striking. For for you have magnified your word above all your names. Now you can look at the other translations of this verse and you can see that they change this. Some of them uh, tinker with the translation itself to come up with something different. This is an awkward expression to us. You have magnified your word above all your name. It sounds like it should be the other way around, doesn't it? You have magnified your name, yourself, above your word. And some change one consonant in the Hebrew to make it say something entirely different. But I think we should take it as it stands here. I think this is accurate. This is what the Hebrew says. You have magnified your word above all your name. And we have to ask then, what does that mean? How does God magnify his word above his name? Especially if we take the name of God for himself. His name often stands for himself. I will praise your name, means I will praise you. But he says here, I have magnified, you have magnified your word above all your name. And there are probably different ways, again, that you can take that, but the way I like to look at it is this, that when David speaks of the name of God here, He's talking about the name of God as it's revealed in his creation. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man. That that name of God in creation is is very glorious, very powerful, very uh, excellent, as David says there in Psalm 8. It's a very great name that God reveals in his creation. But David says you have set your word above that name. Your word is a fuller revelation of that name. That name is revealed in creation, speaks of your power and of your wisdom and of your Godhead and of your eternity and so on. But your word speaks more fully, more of more glory, of greater glory. Your word speaks not only of your work of creation, but also of your work of salvation. Your word speaks not only of your providence, but also of your judgments and all the works of your hands, the purpose of those works of your hands in providence, to save your own and to bring the wicked down to the ground. Your word is a fuller revelation, and I think, What David is saying then is something very similar to what we have in Psalm 19. When in the first part of the psalm, David also says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows his handiwork. But in the second part of that psalm, he talks about the law of God, and he says, it converts the soul. It makes the simple wise, and so on. That word of God has greater power because, exactly because it is a fuller revelation of the glory of God. It has greater power than the power of God's name as revealed in his creation. You have magnified your word above all your name. You have made it greater than your name as revealed in your creation. And of course David is talking that way exactly because... That word is what has made known to him the loving kindness and truth of the Lord. He did not know that from the revelation of God's name in the creation. He could only know that through the word of God spoken. There he found the revelation of his loving kindness and truth to himself. So that's the second reason. The third reason is in the first part of verse 3. In the day when I cried out, you answered me. And this is, of course, exactly how that loving kindness and truth were revealed to him. David cried out to the Lord in days of trouble and distress, and the Lord answered him. He cried to the Lord before he went to face Goliath in battle, and the Lord answered him. He cried to the Lord many times during the persecutions of Saul, and the Lord answered him. He cried to the Lord when Absalom was afflicting him, and the Lord answered him. Many, many times throughout the course of his life, David cried to the Lord, and the Lord answered him. But I think the focus of that answering of the Lord is found especially at the end of verse 3, and made me bold with strength in my soul. This was the particular gift, the special gift of God to David that David celebrates in this psalm. You strengthened my soul. You strengthened my soul to make me bold so that I could speak your word and sing your praises before the gods. I think that's what he's saying here in this first stanza of the psalm. You made me bold in my soul to speak your word, to give you thanks, to confess your name, to sing your praises before the gods. It was not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing for us to do. The gods, the rulers of this world, have power to injure us and often hate us and delight in injuring us. But God calls us to boldness, and in calling us to boldness also gives us boldness by his word, which he has magnified above all his name. You see examples of that boldness in the Apostle Paul, for example, who was bold to speak the word of God to the rulers of the Jews and to the Roman governors, and Roman authorities, who says of himself in Philippians or in uh, First Thessalonians that, in spite of conflict, he was bold to speak the word of God. And we read of Acts, of, in Acts thirteen, of Paul and Barnabas speaking the word boldly to the Jews when the Jews rejected Christ and saying, "See you, seeing you count yourselves unworthy of the gospel, we will now." go to the Gentiles. They were bold. The righteous are bold as a lion. You see that boldness in Peter. When Peter said to the rulers of the Jews, having been commanded not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus, we ought to obey God rather than men. Though you see the opposite in him, of course, when he denied his Lord three times. You see it in Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms. Confronted with the emperor himself and all the wise men of the empire and the mighty of the empire. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. He made me bold with strength in my soul. Therefore, I will praise him with my whole heart, with all my thoughts, with all the choices of my will, With all my desire and inclination, I will devote myself to the giving thanks to the Lord before the gods. When we come then to the second stanza, we see David then anticipating the response of the kings of the earth, those gods, to that word which he speaks to that praise and thanks which he sings. And he anticipates then, prophetically, the response of the nations and of the kings of the earth to the gospel. As that gospel is declared, even in his own words, David's own words, today as the church sings and teaches these words of David to the nations. And notice that David does not anticipate from these kings in this particular psalm a negative response, but a positive response. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord. And that word praise is again the same word he uses in verse 1. Give thanks. All the kings of the earth will confess with thanks your name, O Lord. And notice that this is their response to the words of his mouth, the words of the Lord's mouth, when they hear the words of your mouth. The words which David is speaking in this psalm and in many other places. The words which the people of God speak. That is the word of God. And in response to that, God calls the kings of the earth to bow the knee to his great king. And they join the people of God then and sing. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. Now notice in verse 4 that they hear the words of the Lord. And in verse 5 that they sing the ways of the Lord. That too is important, I think. For it is in hearing the word of the Lord that they learn of his ways and that they experience his ways. The Lord works through that word to make his ways known to them, to bring them into his ways. And they, in response then to that word of the Lord, sing those ways of the Lord according to the words which they have heard. So what we have there then is David proclaiming that his word will be a universally heard word and that there will be a universal salvation in response to that word and that there will arise out of that universal salvation a universal giving of thanks. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord. That's why I chose to sing Psalm 67 tonight. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord because now you have the reasons for it given in the rest of the passage for great is the glory of the Lord. These great kings who are many of them very glorious kings in their own right will know the glory of the Lord and will see that besides the greatness of the glory of the Lord beside the greatness of the glory of the Lord their own glory pales into insignificance. They will join then not only in the giving of thanks and the singing but also in worshiping humbling themselves towards His holy temple. Great is the glory of the Lord. That Lord, that glory of the Lord is the glory of the Lord again revealed in His word. A great glory revealed in His creation. A very great glory, but a greater glory revealed in His word. Question then is, how does verse 6 fit in with that? And I think the answer to that is this is what that glory of the Lord consists in. This is how David chooses to describe that glory of the Lord. And he says three things about that glory of the Lord. First, the Lord is on high, he is exalted above all these kings. He is exalted above heaven and earth. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. He is very high. He regards the lowly and the proud he knows from afar. Now, If you think about those last two lines of that verse, especially when you understand that that word regards really means simply see, he sees the lowly. But the proud he knows from afar. You might be inclined to ask, why are those verbs not changed around there? Why does it not say, yet he knows the lowly, but the proud he sees from afar? If David had used that word knows in regard to the lowly, then it would have all those rich connotations that that word sometimes has in the scriptures. That he knows from eternity. He knows them in his Eternal predestination. He knows them in his everlasting love, which is the foundation of that eternal predestination. He knows them with his love in the present. He's always there for them. He knows them intimately as his friends. All those rich connotations of that word knows that you find in the scriptures. Yeah, David doesn't do that. He says, you see the lowly and you know the proud. I think perhaps the way to get at the uses of those verbs here is to imagine the scene of uh, the king's throne room where the king is seated on his throne and all his people are gathered around him his courtiers are gathered around him and these courtiers here are the proud they're nearest the throne they have ready access to the king they're there in the presence of the king and feel very comfortable with being there in the presence of the king and out on the fringes of that crowd of of nobles and and great men of the kingdom there are a few of the king's lowly subjects who are invisible to the king because the nobles and the proud are standing in the way. What David says is, this king is of a different sort than that king who, because his nobles are there in his face, and because they are the noble, the great of the earth, pays attention to them, and because he can't see the lowly, he they're basically ignored and passed over. But David says of this king, he knows the proud. That is. He sees down to the roots of their pride in his heart, in in their hearts. He knows the uh, motives for their pride. He knows the reasons for their pride. He knows the extent of their pride. He knows them in all their pride. And there is no intimacy, no favor, no compassion for them in his knowledge. He knows them from afar. It is as if, then, they are pushed off to the corners of the throne room. He still knows them there in those corners. And they have reason for fear because of it. But they are, he is not near to them. And he sees the lowly. He sees those humble ones who come acknowledging their unworthiness, their insignificance and calling upon him to be merciful to them. His eyes on them even though from a human perspective they are unseen and not worthy of being seen. The Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. And this is his glory. This is what makes him such a glorious king that exalts his glory above the glory of the kings of the earth. And he regards or sees the lowly and knows the proud from afar. And we see this then fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ, who came into this world as a conquering king. The wise men came asking, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And he rode into Jerusalem as a triumphant king. We rightly call it the triumphal entry. He comes with his glory, but it doesn't look much like glory, does it? to us and to the kings of the earth because he doesn't come on a great white charger with captives in his train. He doesn't come with all the booty that he has taken from his enemies. He doesn't come with his victorious army behind him, cheering him on for the victories he has won. He comes with a few disciples and riding on a donkey. He comes lowly among us. And it is exactly because he has come as one who is lowly among us that he sees the lowly now that he knows the proud from afar as he sits at the right hand of his Father. He is on high. Yes, he is indeed on high. But he sees the lowly and the proud he knows from afar that's his glory and there is no greater glory than that that he who did not think it robbery to be equal with God humbled himself and came in the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and humbled himself even to the death of the cross because he is lowly has been lowly he Regards the lowly, his eye is on them. And note then that it is for this glory that is seen in his humility as well as in his being on high that the kings of the earth will praise him. And it is in before this glory of the one who humbled himself to death And now is seated at the right hand of God, that the kings will confess His name, and thank Him when they hear the words of His mouth. Great is the glory of the Lord. And then in stands the third stanza. David returns to the first person. I think what he's doing here in this third stanza is. He's saying, here's what that glorious king has done for me, one of his lowly subjects, or will do for me, if you prefer the future tense. He is on high. He regards the lowly. Let me tell you how he has regarded the lowly. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. Troubles were all around David for all of his life. His life was a life of great trouble and affliction. And yet always the Lord gave him life, protected that life, and nourished and maintained that life. He always revived him again. He stretched out his hand against the wrath of David's enemies. and David is confident that he will continue to do so in the future. His enemies were angry with him, angry without a cause, angry because of his righteousness, and the Lord stretched out his hand to defend him from his enemies. Your right hand will save me. The right hand of the Lord came between David and his enemies and his troubles and saved him from that. So that, David says then in verse 8, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me, I stand still in the midst of trouble, but he has begun his work in and for me, and he will not cease until that work is complete. He will perfect what concerns me. And why? David returns again to the loving kindness of the Lord. Same word as in verse 2. Your loving kindness, O Lord, endures forever. That loving kindness of the Lord is not an abstraction to David. He's not confessing here that the Lord is a God of loving kindness in himself. But he's saying, your loving kindness, O Lord, endures forever towards me. It does not change. I change. My circumstances change. I am even unfaithful at times. But your loving kindness, O Lord, Endures forever. And it's therefore in the context of that sense of trouble, as well as the confidence that he has in that trouble, that David makes his prayer at the end Do not forsake the works of your hands. Robert Alter, in his commentary on this psalm, points out that that word forsake really has the idea of letting go, as if you would. Let go of a coffee cup so that it fell to the ground and shattered. Do not let go of the works of your hands. Hold them firmly. I am one of the works of your hands. Do not let me go until you have perfected that which concerns me. So we see in this psalm then Christ, the Lord of glory, whom David knows and whom David confesses, and to whom David gives thanks with his whole heart before the gods. And we see that Lord of glory as he regards us, the lowly ones, the humble ones, as he knows the proud from afar. And we respond with David with our confession and our giving of thanks before the gods, before the kings of the earth. He has made us bold with strength in our souls. And we know that through that boldness, in speaking the word of God, which he has magnified above his name, all the kings of the earth, shall give thanks to you, O Lord. Your loving kindness endures forever. May God bless his word.